Welcome to the Independent Dealer Podcast with hosts Luke Godwin and Jeff Watson, a podcast by dealers for dealers. Here we go. Hello. Welcome to this episode of the Independent Dealer Podcast. Uh, Hope everyone is doing happy and healthy things this week, having a great time. We're in the midst of tax season, Luke. Um, How are you guys doing there at your place? How are sales? What's happening? Sales have really picked up, Jeff, uh, to start February. December was a little, I mean, January was a little off, but uh, this month we've really seen a, a pop. And I think finally we have our sales staff uh, back to where it should be, uh, trained properly, and uh, everybody's kind of pointing in the right direction. Now, again, we had some more uh, employee turnover last week, which nobody likes it. Um, but Sometimes when you know someone's not right for a job, you got to challenge them. And, and luckily at, at, at sometimes they quit <laughs> yeah. before you get, before you get too invested in them. And, uh, and we found ourselves in that position last week. And, you know, sometimes just having a tough conversation with an employee will fix a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting for us. Uh, obviously our tax time has been good. Um, We've done, I think I looked at the board the other day, probably 15 tax filings through TaxMax. So we've got quite a bit of uh, some deferred money, some refund advances. So that the TaxMax program has definitely carried us through the last month or so. Uh, things slowed down a little bit this week, um, partially because we're just, we're so darn empty up front, man. I'm, I'm struggling to find inventory, but I wanted to make a point when you talk about finding the right person, I think I hear a lot of conversation and as an employer of about 10, we have 12 people here. Um, if they, if they jump the minimum wage to $15 an hour, I don't think it would affect me. I don't know. Are you finding people to work at your dealership for less than $15 an hour? So, so yes, it's going to affect us. Uh, I will tell you where it will affect us. It won't necessarily affect us on the, the front end side, but your lube tech, your lube tech can't make fifteen dollars an hour. Your most of your detailers are not going to make fifteen dollars an hour. Um, really? Yeah. So, but you pay yours uh, per uh, job, so that wouldn't be affected, right? Or, or is no, it, of knows? course, because you've got to have an effective salary of of fifteen dollars an hour. Wow. So, so um, it will affect like your your training positions. They won't they won't exist anymore which hurts. Um, I think you will yeah. lose, you'll lose that, that portion of your, of your employees. For sure. And, My argument is this. I just think that I, I can't get someone to respond to an and that's worth anything for less than $15 an hour right now. And that's the job market. And maybe that'll change as people decide to go back to work and unemployment runs out and they're stimulus money is dried up and, and maybe the job market will become more competitive. But right now, man, I, I, I can't get anyone with two cents and any wit to show up. Well, hiring is always hard and it's, it's getting increasingly hard. And I think, I think the $15 hour minimum wage would make it that much harder because I think it's just, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a proponent of it. I think that uh, 725 is probably too low at the moment, but Fifteen dollars an hour is too much for our my area. I mean, you're going to lose a lot of jobs. So i i don't uh, I don't think that's going to come to pass. I think that uh, it's probably go up a little bit, but I, I think. 
Yeah, I just can't imagine. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you just cut everyone back to part time, right? I don't know what the specifics are of this is going to be, but you just say, hey, all right, sorry, man, $15 an hour. If you're full time, I got to cut you back to part time, keep you at 12 or 10 or whatever you got them at. Um, I think what happens, though, is you raise your minimum wage and everyone argues all you're going to do is increase the value, the cost of everything. Right. So your burger now is two dollars instead of one dollar and all these things. Now, I think that same issue comes into play when you're talking about pumping a bunch of money into the economy. And and we see it with cars. And is that something as dealers we just need to get used to? Like, I think right now everyone's accepted the fact that there is no there is no cash for clunker no cash for clunker car out there, right? There is no $3,000 buy. They just don't really exist. Like a car is worth five grand and then it's worth nothing basically. And that's exaggerated, but we just got to be okay with the fact that we're not going to be buying stuff like we used to at the auction. Things are just going to be inflated. Well, I think right this second, we have a a perfect storm for car pricing. Um, So what happened, of course, uh, when all this, started prices just went down tremendously i think they dropped in my opinion 30 percent overnight um then we saw a 30 percent increase in a very short period and then we saw another 30 percent increase and that came from demand because of of all the stimulus and it came from a lack of production on the new car side and so what we're seeing again if you haven't noticed is uh, manufacturer running out of chips to, manu- to manufacture cars. So uh, Ford has already introduced a 20% reduction in the F-150 um, over the next amount of time. Uh, I, don't, I can't remember what the specifics were, um, but that's going to be a big deal. If we can't produce the new cars, then we have really, really big issues on the used car side. Mm-hmm. And so you think that it's a perfect storm of both limited supply at the auction, which I don't know that I demand. see. My auction's still running as many cars as they've ever run on a Friday and a Thursday and a Tuesday. And But you're saying the demand's higher. And, and I'm saying yeah. when you get the trifecta of just straight up inflation, there's just more money in the market. There is inflation. And in and if you look, I had this, not argument, I had this discussion with some friends Friday, a Saturday night at a party, and, and they were, we were talking about, oh, well, uh, the economists say, economists say there's there's no inflation. Well, I went back and talked about the inflation I've seen. So in 01, I'm just going to give you this example. In 01, right after 9-11, uh, Ford and GM and a lot of manufacturers introduced 0% financing, first time they'd ever done that. And I can remember this for a fact a brand new hard loaded suburban because I was going to buy one was $36,000. And the reason I remember it being $36,000 because it was going to be $1,000 a month for 36 months. That's what I remember mm-hmm. it being. And I decided not to buy one at the time, but that same hard loaded suburban. Now it has more features than what that one did. Now is almost a hundred thousand mm. dollars. So if you just years. look in 20 years, so you're talking about a 200% increase in the price of that car. Uh, it's, uh, there's been inflation. I think the car industry has seen probably more inflation than any other industry, uh, out there. Do, mm. do you see that? Eh, yeah. I mean, I'd say a lot of them have seen it for, for my neighborhood. I mean, housing market has definitely seen it. I mean, so you could, I think you could put that across a lot of different asset classes of things that just, 
I mean, new ATVs, new boats, new, all these things that are manufactured. And you can't argue that their products have gone up that much, the cost of materials, the cost to make a new Suburban. And, And to that point, if your new Suburban is now 80 or 90 grand hard loaded, what does that mean for your three or four or five or 10 year old Suburban? That just means well, there's more room to keep. It's not going to be depreciating as fast because it's yeah. not being pushed down by the new well, car prices. I mean, just look right now. Let's let's look at a. Let's say we were looking at a 13 suburban right now, hard loaded with decent miles. Let's say it's an LTZ with 80,000 miles. Well, that truck's going to at the auction do 18 to 20 grand probably. You know, if it's the right color combination, a southern car. So that same car, if you look seven years back. That car was bringing mm-hmm. six to $8,000. So there's been that big of an increase in the used car market because of new car pricing. So everybody always complains about auction prices, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been buying cars since I was about 12 or 13 years old. So I'm getting about 30 years into buying cars and selling cars at auction. Um, cars always bring too much when you're trying to buy them and not enough when you're trying to sell them. Just mm-hmm. the way it is. Yeah. Um, it's psychological. Um it is the fact we're, we're, we're in that market. People pay more for cars now than they did, you know, years ago uh, when it comes to the retail side. Mm-hmm. So have your margins changed? Probably not. Um, the percentage of, of profit has changed because the cars have gone up. But I, I don't think, I don't think, I think you got to pay what you got to pay to get the cars, but you can't yeah. go crazy. Yeah, I was doing my composite the other day and I think my margins have gone down. And looking back over 2020, my grosses have gone down. And that's a whole other topic and a problem I've got to dig <laughs> into. But but when you talk about the cost of the car, we had a great conversation last night on Clubhouse. So if you guys are listeners of the podcast, um, you, hopefully you're in the Facebook group. Uh, and if you have an iPhone, jump on, message us. I think we've got some invites. We, we get on the Clubhouse app, which is basically it's, I don't know, Luke, it's a, it's an app. That's a, it's a live podcast, so to speak. I'd call it maybe just a conference call. It's but, something else you made me download. I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's fun. Cause we get in there and we chat with the group of dealers and, and you can have these kind of impromptu conversations about what's going on this week or this day or this hour, as opposed to you guys listening to us rant on something, then you can't yell back at us when we say something stupid in the clubhouse. You can actually chime in and say, Hey Jeff, you're, you're totally wrong. Get your head out of your ass. And so that's the fun part about the clubhouse app. But anyways, we had an interesting conversation and it tied together a few things for me. We get so pissed or dealers can get angry at Cox automotive or cars and think they've got this monopoly and that they are paying these ridiculous fees and that the prices are inflated. And, and then I tie that together with the, there was a post in the, uh, another group about this big wholesaler guy. He's out East and he's like the number one wholesaler in the entire world ever. And he gets all pissed that a uh, Cox employee goes around his back and tries to steal a new car store from him, you know, and says, Hey, new car store. Did you know that you can just go straight to Mannheim express and list all these cars and you don't need to go through this third party guy to, to bring your cars to our auction. Cause we know that's where that, Mr. Third party's getting them from. Right. Is that Hanshed got mad about that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and justifiably, I mean, they're trying to go around him. I get it. He built them, but at the same time, they built him. He made all his money arbitraging between the dealer and the auction. And I think he buys quite a few off the street, but anyways, technology is cutting out the middleman, right? 
That's what Tesla wants to do. They want to go it always to has. consumer. It always has. Carvana wants to use technology to cut out the, the physical dealerships. Mannheim would cut us out in a second if they could sell directly to the public, which they are probably going to do through the acquisition of Room or Carvana or whatever they decide to do down the road. Um, we can do the same thing, Luke. That's my argument is like, we, 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 we kind of complain about these things, but like, if you do the math and you say, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to buy another car from the auction. I'm going to go straight to the new car store, or I'm going to go straight to the public and I'm going to buy cars off the street. And guess what? If I can buy 10 cars off the street and I can save myself an average of $300 in a buy fee, you know, that's $3,000 a month, a week that I would save in buy fees alone, that pays for one full-time guy or two full-time guys to drive the streets with a briefcase full of cash and a trailer on their truck and just buy cars off the street. They get to drive them, they get to check them out, they get the history on the car, they get all the owner's manuals and all the maintenance records. Like, how does that not make sense? It doesn't make sense for many reasons. Um, I'm not saying you can't incorporate it into your buying model, but I doubt in a market of, let's say there's 500,000 people within 20 mile radius of my office, how many cars a week are going to fall into the category that I buy and the actual consumer wanting to take a price that makes actual sense? I think I don't know how many cars are out there, but I'd be willing to bet you it's less than 20, okay, a week. And then if they're really good deals, then another, you know, another person in the public is going to reach on it and buy it. So I think, I think when you talk about the time it would take to do it, um, if you're doing it yourself, uh, the yeah. time it would take doesn't make sense. Now, does it make sense to, to employ someone to do it? Well, okay, let's say it does. First of all, you got to train that person how to buy cars, which is going to take time. You've got to pay that person during your training. Then, then I think you'd have to pay that person per car bought. Um, right. which You're running a business, right, Luke? Yeah. I, I okay. mean, you know, there is, I just think there's a lot going on there. Can it be done? Sure, it can be done. I think you'd have to have multiple people in a location buying cars daily. And all they do is just ring the call, ring the phone. And then this is the, the one key, I think, to all this. The dealer has to understand that you're not going to be able to buy it for MMR. Okay. Right. You're not going to be able to steal the car. Right. You've got to include what you would normally pay for transportation and for that, that fee. So let's say you're averaging $300 per transportation and you're averaging a $500 buy fee. So that's $800 you're going to have to tack that on to what you normally would pay for that car right. to get that car bought. So are you going to save any money? Yeah. I don't know. You're paying private party at the auction right now anyways, right? Probably. So, yeah. I'm not so you tack on fees, you tack on transport and guess what? You saved yourself $500 on recon because you actually got to drive the car. You weren't trusting some Yahoo's condition report oh, that it's no. a 4.0 when it's really not a 4.0, you know? But, but, you know, that I'll go back. That condition report has nothing to do with the mechanics of the car. So if you bring that car into your dealership, it's going to probably need tires. It's going to probably have it. Well, you bid that in it's the price. Probably, right. Ah, no, you can't do that. See, that's 
you have to kind of get that out of your mindset. And I think a lot of people, <laughs> I think you've got to get the opposite out of my, your mindset. I'm going to do it. Or if another dealer, well, I know there are dealers out there doing it. I'm you know, not saying, even the give me I'm the VIN guys back East, they're give me the VIN. They're buying 800 cars a week off the public. I don't, I'm not saying that it's not a viable you business option. Don't want I'm to. saying it's, I'm not saying that. I think that it's, it's going to be hard. A lot of training. And that's another level of management and, you know, employee you got to deal with. And, and I, and actually I've been thinking about it since, since July. So I'm not ready to pull the trigger yet, but I, I, I think it's possible. I want everybody to think about it's going to be difficult. It's not automatically you're going to decide you're going to start buying cars from the public and you're going to, you're going to beat CarMax and you're going to beat Carvana and, and the, the new car store in town that's trying to trade it or trying to buy it off the street too. So there is competition. Um, you got to take all these things to, it, to account, I think, Jeff. That, that's my only argument. It's not going to be as easy as you think. No, no, no. I definitely don't think it will be easy, but I think it's a solution for those that um, maybe more long-term, maybe you don't want to be beholden to these people and uh, where independents can take control. I think, I think these guys that, I don't want to say pray because they do use us. We use them as much as they use us to the point that they decide they don't need us anymore. You know, um, it's a way to get, get loose of that and kind of control your own destiny to a point. Um, anyway, so, so I guess that's my argument. If you're going to be bitching and moaning about the auction prices or the fees from these auction houses, just stop going and do it your dang self. Don't complain. It comes back to the old thing I always say. They set the rules of the game. It's their game. If you don't like it, don't play it. Um, uh, same goes for condition reports. You know, their game, their condition report. Anyways, just sick of people complaining. Uh, Luke, back to, the, back to the clubhouse thing and the in-person and the digital get-togethers. I know NADA is going on right now, digital convention. Everything I hear in the Clubhouse app about it is it's a complete flop. It's like a third of the normal, not even a third of the normal attendees. I'm sure vendors see zero value because I'm not jumping into a digital vending expo hall and having a one-on-one -on -one Zoom conversation with some salesman. Like I, I, I go to those things, I barely even make eye contact with them. I don't want to get, you know, especially used dealers. We love to be sold stuff. We love the new shiny object. So I think we avoid it altogether. But Man, aren't you excited to just have some in-person conventions? Sure. Um, I, I can't wait. I don't know when it's going to happen, though, Jeff. Um, if you've noticed uh, a certain association that some of us belong to has not announced their uh, convention yet. And um, who knows when they will. Uh, NADA, if nobody's ever been, it is amazing. It is the most fantastic thing you've ever gone to. Um, and I can see how it will not translate to, to virtual. I talked to so many vendors. I mean, you know, I talk to vendors all the time and the, uh, <laughs> they were so, they were so out of whack by what happened at a virtual convention last year that, I mean, they were just, completely floored. They had no attendees. They really, they were charged a lot for nothing. And I think that is where vendors are right now. Um, 
you know, it's tough. It's tough for associations and, and digital conventions don't work. And, uh, and we all know why. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of, we just got to get back to an in-person convention. That's where, that's where connections are made, right? Yeah. 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 It's the serendipity of the lunch table and the, and the halls and the afterwards and, and those things. So I'm just looking here. It looks like, I mean, digital dealer, uh, it doesn't really fit a lot of our independent space. It's kind of the same thing. I went last year, the year before, and you know, if you don't have new car store, 10 rooftop, you know, sticker on your badge, no one really talks to you, but which I'm sure is NAD. I have never been, but anyways, digital dealer Tampa in June um, is the first one I know of as far as a physical convention happening. And again, hopefully the NIADA gets their ducks in a row and uh, can, can put together a, an in-person convention soon. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think cr- you no. know anything about what's going on there. So we don't, and don't hold your breath. Okay. Um, speaking of conventions and associations, we did have an interesting conversation with Jason March last night on, on the clubhouse and he had gone to visit Georgia's uh, independent association and just to kind of learn some things. He's the president of the Florida association and uh, he had some interesting takeaways from them. Uh, they run their state association like a business. It is a business, right? So, Every association should be a business and, and every association typically has a services arm and that services arm is a for-profit entity. Um, and Georgia was a front runner to this. And the reason their association works so well is because they were able to get favorable legislation to help build their business portion of their association. And they do like we do in South Carolina um, they have a, an actual temporary tag that has to be bought from certain vendors. Um, in South Carolina, it can be bought right now from the CIADA or the SCADA, the new car side or the used car side. And the association is making probably $3 a pop on these, um, on these tags. And so you can look and see how large this can be of a revenue source for association. The association's biggest problem is their revenue source. Um, Georgia figured it out initially. They got legislation passed that helped. Um, South Carolina and North Carolina, we've got a unique position because we've been able to get pre-licensing courses, and I think most states have those. Um, so we've gotten that portion. And in North Carolina, we've got continuing education. So these are the things that every association out there needs to lobby for, is to get a revenue source that's outside of dealers actually joining Georgia does a great job of it. Um, I think Texas does something to the effect. I know South Carolina, North Carolina, we have a, a revenue source outside of dealers, but dealers can't on their own. We can't, can't do it. We can't push the needle um, the way it should be. But with that extra revenue source, that gives us more money to spend on lobbying and getting other dealers involved. So associations are hard, I think is, is the topic here, uh, but you've got to find revenue sources outside of just dealers to make it work. Yeah. I think if you're involved with your, every, all, everyone who listens to this should be involved with their state association, no matter what state you're in or how active your association is. Mine here is uh, kind of non-existent. Um, 
and maybe we just haven't had a big old legal battle to kind of rally the troops and get everyone together like some of these other states have. Some point back in the day, they got attacked by some legislation. So all the dealers banded together and that association has lived on. But, um, you know, I know that's the case in, I think at Texas is as strong as it is because they, they did some, some battles with the state or something. But um, that's what usually, that's what usually brings dealers out. So what yeah. happens what happens is this dealers when as soon as something start like this starts, let's just say they were going after GPSs, which they've done in Nevada and in places like this. Well, all of a sudden the dealers start complaining, well, why hadn't the association done anything? And what happens is, is the association goes because none of you were members, you know, yeah. we can't do anything without members. So get involved with your association, your state association before they come after you. That's the, that's the long and the short of it. Yeah. And I think as uh, you know, you support those associations and as dealers, the ones that are doing it right, we come together to battle those battles. And we also battle the, the uh, vroom ads, the Super Bowl ad that I'm sure everybody saw where the guy's getting electrocuted at the store and, and can't leave until he buys a car or something. And then so sort of battle that perception that buying a car from a used car dealer or a new car dealer is the, the most painful thing in the world. I think we as dealers doing it right have a responsibility to step out and be the counter side to that argument. Yeah, for sure. Um, Luke, that also makes me think um, how my collections have been amazing right now. So those of you that listen that are in the buy here, pay here industry, um, and, and I, I made a post the other day in the Facebook group uh, as satirical to just point out the fact that, I mean, I think it's 20%. I mean, uh, my collection staff, they're awesome, does a great job. My sales team has done a, done a great job of explaining the program and setting people up for success. But there's a lot of money flowing, man. And I think if your collections aren't right right now, good luck, because I think there's probably a storm coming when, when these things, you know, kind of, we have to pay the piper, so to speak. Yeah, I, I agree, Jeff. Uh, collections uh, last year, I think because of stimulus money, were, were incredible. Um, repos were down. Um, the amount of money we collected was up. Now, I did see some lag behind in certain areas, certain times of the year. We're still getting, you know, we're still getting the one-offs. Hey, I had COVID. Can you do a deferment? Those type of things. But in general, I tell you, um, but I, th I think the money in the market has done more than actual our collection staff has done. But but I, our collection staff has done really well. So I'm, I'm mm -hmm. not going to. Um, but it's all about training, Jeff. And and luckily, you and I, you know, we're in 20 group. We talk about collections a lot. You know, that's probably one of the main things we talk about. Um, and we've gone back and implemented those processes. And uh, hey. I'm glad it works. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I think back to March, February, March of last year when, when this was kind of hitting the radar. It was scary. And, yeah, was scary. And I, I remember kind of being all hands on deck and, and we sat down and made a bunch of policies on how we were gonna defer people and their unemployment proof. And it's funny cause it was almost about this same time last year. So, you know, kind of the same feeling in the air weather wise and, and, and tax time wise. And so it's kind of interesting to have those uh, flashbacks to what that was like. And, and so you, you do argue, you know, I think a lot, we had a little bit of issues with some people that were in the hospitality industry that got shuffled around and 
you know, lost jobs or relocated or did something, and but it wasn't quite as bad as we thought it would be, um, either by good planning or by just pumping that money. You know, what was, I think, one thing that, that, that really led to us having strong collections last year is that we were scared. You know, we were scared of what may happen because of, of what was going on. And we didn't, we didn't have a clue. Right. And so we made collections, a bigger focus. And I think we just made, we made a way to, to do it better. And I think, I think that's going to contribute to the rest of the year. Yeah. I think part of it too, is um, we talk about that right sizing, you know, and, and we saw a post the other day in, in the Facebook group. And I think, I don't remember who it was. Uh, Megan maybe uh, was asking about what is that key hire? You know, who do you hire as you scale up your dealership? Um, and it kind of had and, me thinking, you know, and like when, and when do you do it? Yeah. Like if I was to go bigger or take on a second location, what personality type, what skill set would I need to get there? And, and maybe vice versa. If things really, really hit the fan and I had to scale this thing down to, to half, what are those skill types and personality would I want to still be here? Yeah. You know, um, in, in the, in the buy here, pay here business, I think uh, the first thing you should be hiring is a collector. Um, if you do, if you decide, hey, I'm getting the buy here, pay here business, I'm a one or two person operator, and um, anybody can sell a buy here, pay here car most of the time, depending on exactly what you got going on. But you've got to hire a, you know, at that point, you should be hiring someone who's doing collections and who's doing, you know, taking payments, who's working insurance. That person, when you're small, can do all that. So I think on that side, that's what you have to do. If you're a retail organization, um, you know, what do you do, Jeff? Do you hire another salesperson or do you hire somebody very experienced in the financing portion of it? Um, you know, it, may, it may be the financing portion. What do you think? Yeah, I a hundred percent agreed. I didn't, I don't, I don't think I responded to what I was thinking, but I thought out what I would have said. And I do think that someone well-versed in F and I is going to be a key first hire, especially if you are, well, probably no matter what, even if you're a buy here, pay here, you need a good F and I guy, an underwriter. Um, but, but definitely if you're prime or subprime, you've got to know the lenders. That's the only way you're going to churn cars is by knowing the lenders, by knowing what they want, knowing how to put steps together in deals that the lenders are going to like, um, finding someone that can sell a car. Yeah. That that's a bit easier in my opinion, but what you don't want to do is go hire a salesman that has no idea how to do F and I, and then what you're, you're the one stuck doing it. You're still the one desking deals. You're still, so I would say find that F and I guy that maybe has a little bit of closing skill, um, and can still kind of help sell a car, but that's probably been the key. I mean, my key guy here at my dealership is hands down my manager, F and I guy. He gets things bought that I would have never thought could have got bought by a bank or a credit union. Um, does a great job underwriting and kind of filling in the spaces when I'm not here. So, so yeah, that. Yeah. And you know, at what point do you make that hire, Jeff? How many cars do you need to be selling a month to, to make a leap if you're, if you're in retail? Jeez, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I think she said, I think this, uh, gosh, I wish I remember her name, but she said she was selling like 30 and doing them all oh on God. her own. And I was oh, like, no. what, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I think a lot of it has to do with your lifestyle. Like, do you want to see your kids? Then yeah, you probably should 
hire that sooner than later. And when you build it in as a commission-based comp plan, which I think it should be 100%, you know, maybe a small small salary, and then you give them a percentage of upfront gross and a percentage of back end, it shouldn't cost you anything. They should be incentivized to hold gross and get those deals bought. So I think it's a no brainer just for your own sanity because you're not, you can't do everything great. You might be good at a lot of stuff, but definitely find those things that are not scalable. And I think most dealers, the last thing they let go of is a, the financials, the ultimate financials, maybe not the day-to-day accounting and controlling, but definitely the monthlies and the quarterlies auditing and overview, and then buying the cars. I feel like those are kind of the two things that always seem to be like the last the last two little grasps that most dealers have at their dealership, right? It, it, for sure. I, you know, I finally started to let go of some of the buying. Um, I'm still probably doing most of the identifying, but still, uh, it's still hard. Um, I don't think you should ever let go of the finance, the ultimate financials um, before it goes to the CPA. I think the I think the owner should be every month reconciling books and doing all this and all that, because I think that uh, that will keep theft out of your dealership, uh, you know, as much as possible. Um, yeah. But, you know, these are things you got, if you want to grow, you got to, you got to hire and you got to put play, the right pay plans into position. So they doesn't cost you money to hire someone. Some people yeah, are going to call, some people are going to cost you money, but in general, you know, they shouldn't. I had a really interesting thought the other day, minimum wage goes to $15 an hour. I'm going to put everybody at in the car lot on $15 an hour pay, right? Everybody goes to 15. If you're up, you come down. If you're down, you come up. But then the rest of your paycheck is all commission-based, based on your performance metrics. So everyone gets paid the same hourly, no matter what, but the rest of your salary or the rest of your income is going to come based on commission or uh, bonuses or the metrics that you have, whether you're a collector, an office manager, a mechanic, a detailer, an F&I guy, whatever it is. You know what that creates, right? Equality. No, it creates another level of verifying salaries and this, that, another, another, you know, another probably 10 hours worth of payroll work every week. No, no, no. <laughs> how many, how many of you guys are on? I mean, you don't have most of your people on some sort of Variable bonus based on performance? Sure. You just have to build it. You have to do it. It's I just, think I, I think I would only have to switch maybe two people over. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, most of my people come to me, their paycheck is part hourly and part uh, commission or bonus or, or something. Yeah. Anyways, that's my thoughts. Uh, that's plenty of time, Luke. Uh, I yep. know I got to bounce. You got to bounce. Uh, before we leave, obviously, I want to give a shout out to everyone that listens. Uh Really appreciate the growth of the podcast, uh, the reviews um, on iTunes and Spotify and the YouTube channel has grown probably 10 times. I mean, we're only, I mean, I don't know, 100, 100 views an episode, but it's really jumped up quick in the last month. So anyone watching or listening on YouTube, appreciate that. And obviously share it with your dealer friends. Um, that's what we want is just to kind of educate everybody as we get educated. So, yep. All right, Luke, talk to you next week. See you, bud. So glad you joined us. Please take a minute to leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. The Independent Dealer Podcast. Dealers helping dealers.